Octavius Winslow uh, was a, a well-known English preacher in the 1800s. And he once said that every view of the Lord Jesus is significant and precious to the believing mind. And I trust that you found that last week and today as we thought about the Lord Jesus as the wonderful counsellor and as the mighty God. And we come tonight to another wonderful title of our Saviour. Uh, though the one that is the least straightforward to understand. But just before we get into uh, the, the, the details of this title this evening, I want to notice uh, some, something earlier on in verse 6, something quite unusual about the first part of the verse, especially when we look at it in comparison to another verse that we often hear at this time of year. Isaiah says, to us a child is born, to us a son is given. We would talk of a child given to its parents or its family, but we don't talk about children being given to a whole community. Uh, we didn't ha have people uh, coming around when Elijah was born saying, well, well I'm so glad that, that God has given this child to us. Uh, they, they said, no, we're glad that God has given this child to you. But Isaiah says, to us, a child is born. And that becomes even more significant when we think of the words of the angel to the shepherds. Do you remember what the angel told those shepherds who were watching their flock by night? For unto you is born this day in the city of David a saviour who is Christ the Lord. Isaiah speaking to his fellow human being says unto us the angel speaking not to his fellow angels but to human beings says unto you what does that tell us well doesn't it tell us that the saviour was given not for angels but for men and women and boys and girls the angels have no saviour. Boys and girls, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come to save angels. The angels don't have a saviour. As the book of Hebrews puts it, for surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. When the angels sinned, there was no way back. But when human beings sin, there is. We have a saviour, the angels don't. And the fact that we do is purely down to God's grace. Sometimes we, we are, are better, a lot of the time probably we're better at asking God for things than for praying for forgiveness. But think about the fact that the angels can ask for forgiveness no angel ha has ever prayed to ask for forgiveness because for the angels, once they sin, that is it. The angels that fell uh, and became demons. We are the only beings in the universe who can pray for forgiveness. No doubt the angels can pray for other things, but they cannot pray for forgiveness and it's purely down to God's grace. Unto us a son is given. 
and the one to be born would not simply be a son because he was a baby boy born to Mary, but rather, as the angel said to Mary, the child to be born will be called holy, the Son of God. And that brings us face to face with what makes this third title in this series harder to understand than the rest. Because if Jesus is and eternally has been the Son of God, how can he be described as Father? Well, well, we'll attempt to answer that question more fully as we go along this evening. Uh, but for now, it's worth saying that Isaiah isn't trying to lay out distinctions in the Trinity here. Uh, for the Trinity to be fully and finally and clearly revealed, we, we need to wait for the New Testament. And we, we can say that the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Father. And Isaiah isn't confusing them. And yet the Son is given to us and will relate to us in ways that are like a father. And we'll see more of, of what that means this evening as we consider the title of our, our Lord under two headings. So firstly, tonight, this title of Everlasting Father, it speaks of his everlasting care for his people. His everlasting care for his people. What does it mean to call the Lord Jesus everlasting? We'll start with the, with the easier word. Uh, well, well, quite simply, it means that, that he had no beginning and he will have no end. We all have a beginning. Uh, not so the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the, the Son of God, yes, but he is eternally the Son Human sons come into existence after their fathers, but not the Lord Jesus. The word son points to his relationship to the father, not to his origin. Jesus Christ is the uncreated son of God. By him, says the Apostle Paul in Colossians, all things were created. Uh, and that's a bit awkward for the Jehovah's Witnesses because they want to say that Jesus was created too. Uh, and so when, when Paul says all, all things were created by him, in the, their older uh, mistranslation of the Bible, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they put in the word in brackets, all other things were created. Um, so, so, so it didn't exclude Jesus from the creation. And then in their most recent update, 2013, I think, they, they take out the brackets and they just leave in the words other. Uh, so so their, their Bible, if you meet a Jehovah's Witness, will say, by him all other things were created. But it doesn't say that in the Bible, and, and they know it doesn't say that, or they, they, they once knew. Uh, Paul also says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Without the Lord Jesus, nothing can hold together. Uh, the one who is mighty God, uh, as we thought about this morning, could not have been created by anyone. Jesus himself spoke of his self-existence in John chapter 8 when he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, what did the Jews make of that? Well, they, they picked up stones to throw at him. The Lord Jesus Christ had no beginning. 
I think also of the description of the Lord Jesus in Revelation chapter 1, where we read that the hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. And that's a reference back to the Ancient of Days, uh, the eternal God uh, of Daniel chapter 7. So what all we should have as we think of the Lord Jesus, the eternal one, the self-existent one, uh, the one who is eternally the son who had no beginning. And yet the eternal son of God came into this world as a baby. What humiliation. I, I quoted it this morning, but... The Shorter Catechism gets it spot on. Christ's humiliation consisted in his being born. And then the list of other things. But even to be born. He who was infinite became an infant. The one born in Bethlehem had no beginning. And he will have no end. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And so his kingdom will have no end. In fact, John Calvin says here that that, that Jesus is given the name Everlasting Father because he preserves the existence of his church through all ages. He's an everlasting father to his church. There is much that could cause us to fear for the future of the church of Jesus Christ. Yet the fact that Jesus is described here as an everlasting father to his church means that it will always be in safe hands. Often the the founder of a famous company, the time comes when they will need to, to pass that company on to new hands. And will, will the company be in safe hands when they're gone? And maybe, maybe when the founder dies, the, the stock price falls because there's doubt as, as to whether the company is still in safe hands. Uh, but, but the Lord Jesus is, is eternally in control of the church. Charles Spurgeon said that as he looked at this passage and as he saw the words everlasting father, he said to himself, ah then the Christian religion will never die out. It is not possible that the truth as it is in Jesus should ever be put away if he is everlasting father. Because he is everlasting, his kingdom will have no end. In fact, one way to understand this word father here is as a description of a king. Just as a father cares for and protects his children, so a king is to be a father to his people. He's to act with similar concern for his people. Uh, We see this later on in Isaiah, actually. Uh, uh, You might want to look this up at Isaiah 22 and and verse 21, Isaiah twenty-two, twenty-one, And you have Eliakim. Or chapter 22, verse, verse 20 and 21. 
Eliakim here, he, he's the governor, he's the king's representative, and he's described there, Isaiah 22, uh, in the middle of verse 21, and he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Uh, what does it mean? It means he'll, he'll care for them, he'll look after them, he'll govern them wisely. And that becomes even more significant when, when we go on and read the next verse 22. Verse 22. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut. And he shall shut and none shall open. And if those words sound familiar, that's because they're applied to the Lord Jesus in Revelation 3 verse 7. So there's a few strands there, but to put it all together, you have Eliakim, who, who pictures the Lord Jesus, and Eliakim is described as a father to his people. And so we can build on that and say that the Lord Jesus is an even greater father to his people. The best earthly kings are like fathers to their subjects and have been like fathers to their subjects. And how much more so the Lord Jesus Christ. What care and compassion he has for us. And so in that sense we can apply the words of Psalm 103 not just to God the Father but also to his Son our Saviour. As a father shows compassion to his children. So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers we are dust. And the Lord Jesus remembers that we are dust from experience. So how particularly does the Lord Jesus act as a father to his people? Well, well, two ways in particular, still under this first point. Firstly, our King, the Lord Jesus, is fatherly in his tender love. He's fatherly in his tender love. Boys and girls, that's the word tender we were speaking about earlier. Jesus Christ knows his own people perfectly. He knows what we think. He knows what we need. Do you remember how tenderly he spoke to his people on earth? Martha, Martha, you are anxious about many things, but one thing is needful. And the Lord Jesus still speaks tenderly to his people as his word is opened. Do you remember his tender, patient love with his stumbling disciples? Well, he has that same tender love for you. How quick we are to get frustrated with each other. How, how short our wicks are. Uh, but not so the Lord Jesus. He's so patient. So patient. Three times in Mark's gospel, the shortest gospel, three times he tells the disciples that he must suffer and be killed. Three times they don't get it. And he never forgets us. He's never too busy. He says, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Those hands which because of love would be nailed to a cross. 
Maybe some of us who are our dads have sat beside the bedside of our children when they've been sick, perhaps suffering the, the distress of a sickness bug or, or the unbearable itch of chicken pox. And we said, I wish it could be me instead of you. I wish I could suffer it instead because we can't bear to watch them suffer. But the Lord Jesus, he, he didn't just wish that. Instead, he said to his father, as the wrath of God was due to fall on us, let it fall on me instead. Let it be me instead of them. And so it was. He is fatherly in his tender love. He would bear the wrath of his father, of which he did not deserve one iota, rather than it fall on us. He's fatherly in his tender love. And he's also fatherly in his perfect help. He's fatherly in his perfect help. You know, any father w- worth his salt wants to help his children with whatever it is they're struggling with. But sometimes we aren't there when they need us to be there. And sometimes for all our desire to help them, we aren't able to. But the Lord Jesus is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. When we are in trouble, others may be absent, even those we are, we are so used to turning to. Others may be absent, but he is a very present help. He is a strong tower that the righteous run into and are safe. And so, believer, you have nothing to fear in the year ahead if you are in Christ. He will give you all that you need for the next stage of your journey home. When little children are in the back of the car and their dad is driving, they don't fear any danger. They play with their toys, maybe they they squabble, maybe they ask why it's taking so long. But they don't have any doubt that their father will get them safely home. It doesn't cross their minds. And the Lord Jesus will bring you safely home one day. You don't need to worry about that. In fact, in the, in the previous chapter of Isaiah, chapter 8, verse 18, there are words which the book of Hebrews takes and applies to the Lord Jesus. It puts them on his lips, Isaiah 8.18 Behold I and the children whom the Lord has given me. So who will be in heaven? Well the Lord Jesus steps forward to answer that question and says Behold I and the children God has given me. He will get the children safely home. He says it and he guarantees it. The Lord Jesus is called the everlasting father because of his everlasting tender care for his people. But then secondly, this evening, the Lord Jesus is called everlasting father because he is the source of eternal salvation. He is the source of everlasting salvation. There are are some in any church who who don't have any physical children and yet they have spiritual children. Those who they have been instrumental in bringing to faith or building up in the faith. 
And that's another way in which the Lord Jesus can be called a father because he is the source of everlasting salvation for his people. Do we not see that in one of the most well-loved chapters of the Bible? Isaiah 53 says of the Lord Jesus, he shall see his offspring. Who are his offspring? Those for whom he died. Those who, who he calls in the book of Hebrews, the children God has given me. And it is tremendous news for us that God has given spiritual children to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there are only two possible ways for a man, woman, boy or girl to relate to God. Either through our natural father Adam or our spiritual father Jesus Christ. And because of the fall to try and relate to God through Adam spells death. In Adam, Paul says, all die. But as he goes on to say, in Christ, all shall be made alive. So you have that contrast between our first father, our, our natural father, Adam, and our spiritual father, Jesus Christ. So how do you relate to God tonight? Is it through Adam or through Christ? Is it by nature or by grace? One way to... To think about the answer to that question is, is to ask, whose image do you bear? Whose image do you bear? As Paul goes on to say in 1 Corinthians, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. The man of dust, Adam, the man of heaven, the Lord Jesus. In those familiar words of Romans chapter 8, those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. What is God's will for your life in 2023? It is that you would be conformed more and more to the image of his Son. And so now, if we are relating to God through Christ, we will be starting to bear his image. There will be something different about us. We'll respond differently to situations. We'll shine the light of Christ into the different situations we come into. We think of our town and perhaps we think of the darkness of it, but how wonderful that Christ has his image bearers that, that he sends out into different areas in the town. Like little little pinpricks of light on a dark map. And, and uh, would God that there are, are more uh, and more of these little dots of, of light starting to shine in the year ahead. Uh, another way to, to, to think of what it means for the Lord Jesus to be described as a father comes back in, in chapter 4 of the Bible. Uh, back in Genesis 4 we read about two brothers, Jabal and Jubal. Jabal and Jubal. Uh, not, not the most famous Bible characters perhaps and yet Jabal we're told is the father of those who dwell in tents and of livestock and Jubal is the father of those who play the lyre and the pipe. Now that doesn't mean that everyone who farms or who plays music is literally descended from one of these two brothers. 
It's just a way of saying that they were the first to do these things. They were the originators of them. The same way today that that Hippocrates is considered the father of modern medicine, uh, Galileo the father of modern science, or Marx the father of communism. Uh, They are the, the fathers of these things in the sense that they invented them. And in the same way, the Lord Jesus is the originator, the source of everlasting salvation. That's what he's literally called in Hebrews 5 verse 9. And having been made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And so if you are saved tonight... You owe that entirely to him. Think of a believer and an unbeliever. They both think they'll get to heaven. The unbeliever thinks that when he or she gets to heaven, they will be able to sing like Maria in the sound of music. Somewhere in my youth or childhood, I must have done something good. Whereas the believer will get to heaven and they know that they will say with McShane, chosen not for good in me. It's two very different ways of thinking about why good things happen to us, isn't it? Somewhere in my youth or childhood I must have done something good or chosen not for good in me. If you are saved tonight, trace that amazing blessing back to its source. Not the fact that you must once have done something good, but back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And the source is the same for all of us, whether God saved us early in life and kept us from years spent trying to find happiness in the world, or whether he saved us later in life and some of the the choices we made before we were Christians are still impacting our daily lives. Either way, our salvation comes from the same source and the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Uh, there, there, There are not two different sources of salvation. The Lord Jesus is the source of eternal salvation. And so if we long for the salvation of our loved ones and friends, we must go to the one who is the source of salvation and ask him to give them what we have. And we must do what we can to bring them to the source. Like the the paralytic friends who, who brought him to Jesus. We've decided as a session to request a go team for September in 2023, uh, which is to go back to our usual slot after having one at Easter last year. But we're also planning to have a special guest service sometime in the spring, uh, probably a Lord's Day morning or evening or or both, uh, where I'll, I'll preach on a topic aimed at catching people's attention And we'll make out some leaflets that you can give to your friends and invite them. So why not start thinking and praying now about who you could invite. Uh, Maybe we'll even call it Come and See Sunday or something like that. Uh, And we can give it to people who ask us about church and say, why don't you come and see? And the point of it all is to bring people to the one who is the source of eternal salvation that they might hear him speak as his word is opened.
And aren't we, we challenged by, by the example of, of our sister Mary this morning? The way that she spoke about church made her niece keen to drive all the way from Dumfries just to come and see what it is like. Uh, surely uh, that is, that is a, a tremendous thing. Do we speak about church in a way that, that, that attracts people to come or that would keep them staying away? What is on offer is eternal salvation, Hebrews 5. And Jesus Christ, uh, the everlasting Father, is, is called that because he is the source of eternal salvation. It is begun in this world, but it is an eternal salvation. It comes to full flower in the next. For the unbeliever, this world is as good as it will ever get. But for the believer, the best is yet to come. And of course, the opposite of eternal salvation is eternal damnation. Those in hell won't know the Lord Jesus as everlasting Father, but as everlasting Judge. And it's only by responding properly to his first coming that we can be ready for his second coming. Responding not with sentimentalism at a baby in a manger, but responding in repentance and faith before the infinite one who became an infant. And who would grow up and die on a cross taking the everlasting punishment that we deserved, that we might have an everlasting salvation. And so uh, these are some of the reasons why the eternal Son of God can be called the everlasting Father. Not because Isaiah has confused the persons of the Trinity, not because he's failed Trinitarian Theology 101, but because as our great King, the Lord Jesus Christ exercises true kingly and fatherly care toward his people. Fatherly in his tender love. Fatherly in his perfect care. And also because the Lord Jesus is the originator, the source of our everlasting salvation. And in light of that we could do worse than pray as many have done. Jesus, tender shepherd, hear me. Bless thy little lamb tonight. Through the darkness be thou near me. Watch my sleep till morning light. When I'm troubled and afraid, I will trust in thee and pray. Jesus, tender shepherd, hear me. Bless thy little lamb tonight. Let my sins be all forgiven. Bless the friends I love so well. At life's end, take me to heaven. Happy there with thee to dwell knowing that he will exercise his fatherly care on us and bestow on us his eternal, everlasting salvation. Amen. Well, as we've seen tonight, although there are not many, there are a few scriptural passages which speak of the spiritual children of the Lord Jesus. And one which we haven't touched on so far is it in Psalm 89, uh, to which we'll turn now, Psalm 89, uh, verse 24 to 28, page 205. Uh, so Psalm 89, 24 to 28, uh, page 205. Verse 24 is clearly speaking of the Lord Jesus. 
uh, where, where God the Father says of the Son, I'll make him my firstborn above the kings of every land. And then verse 25 speaks of his seed, his descendants, and I will make his seed forever to endure. And yet, if, verse 26, if, the, if his seed, his sons forsake his law, they will suffer the consequences for their sins. Uh, but, verse 27, well, well, verse 27, there's the consequences. But, but verse 28, uh, the father will not remove his steadfast love from the son. Uh, and by implication, uh, that means he won't remove his steadfast love from all those who are trusting in him. All his spiritual children will make it to the end because once we're adopted into God's family, we are adopted permanently. So Psalm 89, 24 to 28. 